0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit CreeksideCommunity.org. All right, you've been friendly enough. Good job. Well done. You can get back to your seats now and we'll uh, look again at Deuteronomy and what God has to teach us. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's ask for his help uh, as we go to his word. So God, we thank you for your enduring faithfulness, your steadfast love. Lord, that you are just as present in the hard times as the easy times, just as near to us in the bad times as in the good. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to remember you regardless of what season we're in. I know for some of us, we're in a very comfortable season. I know some of us are going through affliction. Um, Lord, I pray that you would remember you, uh, either in our poverty or our prosperity, God. Teach us to remember you in every season. I pray you teach us from your word now for our good, your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So... Let me ask you a question. Imagine you could ask God for whatever kind of life you wanted, and you knew God would give that life to you. What kind of life would you ask for? Would you ask for an easy life? Would you ask for a hard life? There's this interesting prayer at the end of Proverbs by a sage named Agur. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but uh, this is what he prays. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. God, please don't give me too little. Please don't give me too much. Don't give me poverty, but please don't give me great prosperity. What's he saying? He's saying, God, don't make my life so hard that I disobey you. But also, God, please don't make my life so easy that I deny you. That's a wise prayer. Because it recognizes this propensity in the human heart that is so powerful, and it's this. I can find a reason to forget God, to turn from God in every situation. So in hard times, what am I tempted to say? Why am I going through this? God, why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you blessing me? And I'm frustrated, and I turn from God. But then let's say God answers the prayer, and he does deliver me. And he does bless me. In fact, let's say he blesses me so exceedingly that my life becomes pretty easy. What am I tempted to do then? In that moment, I'm tempted to say, good job, me. You did it. And I become self-satisfied and independent. And I forget my desperate need for God. See, the sinful human propensity to to neglect God, to forget God, it's constant. And there is no set of circumstances in your life that will make you a faithful person. Which means one of the keys to walking with Jesus is learning how to walk with God and remember him both when life is really hard and when life is pretty easy both in the worst of times and in the the best of times, because what we'll see is that there are spiritual dangers associated both with times of poverty and with prosperity that we need to be aware of. And Moses makes the exact same point in Deuteronomy 8, which is what we're looking at today. We're in this series on Deuteronomy. It's a fascinating book. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He's given his people the law, to show them how to live. He has led them for 40 years through the wilderness. He's taken them up to the brink of the land that he promised to give them. But God takes them up to the brink of the land and his people say, no, we don't trust you. We're not gonna go in. Uh, The whole generation is exposed, as not believing in God, not trusting him. And so in judgment on his people, God disqualifies an entire generation from entering the land. And this whole generation of people don't get to go into the land. And so then they wander in the wilderness and wander till every person in the generation has died, save for two, Joshua and Caleb. They get to go in the land. And now the children of this unfaithful generation, they are now at the brink of the promised land again. They're standing at the shores of the Jordan. They're ready to go in. And this is Moses' last chance to talk to them. Moses is disqualified from entering. He doesn't get to go in either. And now he has one chance to give a sermon. What would you say? This is the last sermon before you die. Moses says, remain faithful. Remain faithful to the covenant. And how will Israel stay faithful? By remembering their God. They must remember who he is, how he delivered them, what his good plans for them are. Again and again, Moses says, don't forget. Don't forget who your God is. In essence, he's saying what? Don't make the mistake your parents made. Don't forget God. Remember. And that's our great danger as well. Paul Tripp has said that all of us are gospel amnesiacs. Gospel amnesiacs. That means we have this propensity to wake up each day and forget who our God is what our God has done for us, who we are as his sons and daughters, and how we should now live. We all have a tendency to forget what he has done and why we should obey. And so we're looking at Deuteronomy to remember what we need to remember. What do we need to remember about God in order to stay faithful to him? Deuteronomy 8 is this great exhortation from Israel to to remember God as they enter the land. And Moses says two things. In the first half of the chapter, he says, remember how God led you when times were hard. Remember what God was doing in the wilderness when life was hard. And they need to remember that. Why? That's the second half of the chapter. They're entering the land. And once they're in the land, life's going to be easy, great. Once they've settled there, they're going to have prosperity and abundance And so Moses says, remember what God did in the hard times so you don't forget God in the good times that are coming and you don't forget the lesson he was trying to teach you back here. So first half of the chapter, remember God in the hard times. Second half, remember God in the good times. This week is the hard times. Next week is the good times, okay? So stay with us. We'll get through the hard times. But but today we want to look at what Israel was supposed to learn from their time in the wilderness. Moses says this, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Again, Moses, big point, Israel, remain faithful. And again, he gives us the motivation God isn't out to destroy your life. God isn't out to make you miserable. Obey and live. Live for generations in the land. Experience God's blessing and abundance from generation to generation. Israel, remember to remain faithful to God. He will bless you. Why should they remember God? Why should they remain faithful to him? Because Moses says, he has been faithful to them. Even in the hardest times. Moses goes on and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Moses wants the Israelites to understand what God was doing during this 40-year period when Israel is in the wilderness, and it is a period of hardship, scarcity. Why is it so critical for the Israelites to grasp this? two reasons. First, because an entire generation of Israelites didn't learn the lesson of the wilderness. God was trying to teach them something through the hardship, and this generation didn't learn the lesson. In fact, the hardship caused them not to turn toward God, but what? From God, to reject him. And so Moses wants the children to learn the lesson of hardship that the parents did not learn. That's the first reason to remind him of this. Here's the second reason. The children uh, need to see that the wilderness was not a giant waste of time. Wouldn't it have been tempting to view it that way? Imagine you're one of the children of this generation standing there on the shores of the Jordan. Think about it. God leads the Israelites right up to the brink of the promised land and Israel says, no, we don't trust you. We don't want to go in. God punishes Israel and what do they do? Laps. Laps around the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. Until that generation dies. Now imagine you're a child doing laps in the wilderness. Waiting for the period of punishment to be over. You know what question you would ask because it's the question every child asks. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Which is the dumbest question, isn't it? Because the answer is in the question. It's self-evident. Are we there yet? Well, we're still driving, aren't we? We're not there. So why did you ask? Stop. Ah, oh, okay. It's kind of raises some stuff in me, okay? Yeah. But that's the question you'd ask. And what you would think is this is a massive waste of time. Moses says it wasn't. In fact, according to to Moses, the waiting was not wasted. It was actually essential training for Israel to go through. The hardship wasn't a waste. It was necessary. And that is so critical for us to understand God's bigger transcendent purpose for hardship. Here's why. When life stinks and when it is hard, there are two temptations. First temptation is this, to think God is punishing me. I screwed it up, I must have done something wrong, and so God is punishing me for what I did. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is to think this, why me? And when will this be over? When will this be over? And if you succumb to that, you are either succumbing to self-loathing, which is why am I so terrible, why is God punishing me, or self-pity, why is my life so much harder than everyone else's? But there's another perspective we need and it's this. In hardship, God is still a loving father. He's still good and because he's a loving father he will use even the wilderness even the hardest place to cultivate something in you that is of incalculable value. That is precious. And in the mystery of God's providence it is necessary for me to go through the wilderness to become mature. Listen, Jesus never sinned. He batted a thousand. He had to go through the wilderness to be tested, tried, and for his faith to come to completion. Because this is how our faith comes to maturity. If Jesus went through it, I'm gonna go through it. And here's what this means practically. When hard things come, I don't always know why it happened, right? I don't don't know why. That's often a mystery. But I always know what God is trying to produce through hardship. I always know that because there are things God wants to produce in me through hardship that in the mystery of his providence can only be produced through hardship. And so what do we need to remember? When hardship comes, three things, Moses says, you have to remember. First, God uses trials to test us. Until there's a trial, I don't know the true condition of my heart. But the trial exposes what's really in here. Second, and this is the one we don't like, okay? He uses pain to train us. No pain? No gain. I know it's trite, but that's because it's true. There there are lessons that pain teaches and God in his kindness will use bad things to teach us good things. Hardship makes us mature. Third, because he's a good father, ultimately he's going to use burdens to bless us. In fact, there's a blessing in the burden and if we're trained by the pain, we will have joy in him we wouldn't have otherwise had. Three things to remember, okay? Okay. First, hardship is necessary to test our faith. Why why does Israel take, why does God rather, why doesn't he take Israel out of slavery and just sort of teleport them into the promised land? That's what I would have liked, right? Just immediately, slavery, paradise, right there. Why does he make them go through the wilderness? Well, Israel's out of Egypt, but there's a lot of Egypt that's still in Israel. And God needs to train these people who have trusted in idols and false gods to trust him. And so he has to take them through tests and put them in a crucible where they have a choice. They have a choice. Am I going to rely on my own understanding and lean on it? Or am I going to trust God for his protection and provision? And he puts them in a hard place to expose the condition of their hearts. Moses says it this way, remember the way God led you through the wilderness that he might what? Humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Until there's a test, there's no proven character, is there? You gotta go through the test. And here's the irony of the wilderness. If you read Numbers and Israel's wilderness journey, Israel was trying to put God to the test. They were still feeling God out, like, "Eh, is he going to be trustworthy? So they kept provoking him and testing him to see if he would do what he said he would do. But God had already proven his character. God's character was not in doubt. Israel's character was in doubt. And God tests Israel and creates these decision points. Why? Because only through the test of a trial does someone's trust become evident. God's agenda from the beginning has been to establish his kingdom on earth through who? Through us. Through humans, God wants humans to rule on his behalf, to subdue Satan, to overcome evil. And so God tests us to see if we're up to the task. Why is there a tree in the garden? Adam and Eve, where did he put the tree? Right, that's the question we're all asking. Why did he give them a choice? Why did he do that? I don't know all the reasons, but I do know this. It was a test. It was a test to see if they would trust God's word and what he said or whether they would lean on their own understanding. Now, Adam and Eve, they fail the test. They eat even though God said what? Don't eat. And so he reconstitutes his people as a nation. He takes them into the wilderness. And what's the first thing he does? He gives them a test. And just like Adam and Eve's test involved food, what does Israel's test involve? Food. Remember the manna? God says, I'm going to provide food from heaven. You have to trust me for your food. Here's when you'll gather it. Only gather as much as you need for a day. You're going to walk day by day in dependence of me. Only eat what I tell you to eat when I tell you to eat it. That's God's word. Sounds similar? Same test. Will you trust God for provision that his word is good? Or will you lean on your own understanding? One generation fails to pass the test. Now the next generation has a chance. Will you trust in God's word? Will you lean on your own understanding? And what test does Jesus have to go through? The exact same test. Because after Jesus' baptism, when he publicly begins his ministry, what is the first thing that happens after that? Matthew tells us, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Hungry. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. Satan tempted him. God doesn't tempt, but God does test. God leads us into the wilderness to create a crucible where we have to decide, will we trust God or not? Jesus has to pass the test that humanity never passed. He has to succeed where we fail. And again, what's the test? God says to Jesus, don't eat until I tell you to eat. And after 40 days, yeah, I really want to eat. Will I trust God to sustain me or will I lean on my own understanding and get what I want in my own way? Even Jesus had to go through it. Do you think you're going to have to go through it? Yes, the same thing. Because only a test shows the nature of our faith and a true faith is a tested faith. There is no escaping it. The test exposes our hearts. We don't trust people until they're tested, right? Think about the last flight you went on. You you trusted that commercial pilot had passed some tests, right? Right? You, you, You probably didn't quiz them, but you thought they probably went through a lot of testing, and it's true, they did. 40 hours of training just to get the private pilot certification, and then they needed to pass all the tests for an instrument rating, and then 250 hours of additional training for a commercial flight, and then because they're a big commercial airliner, you need 2,500 hours of in-flight training. At least a 1,000 of that has to be as a captain. Probably a lot more, a written test, a practice test, and a lot more tests. And they pass them all with flying colors, and that's why you're on the flight, right? Because they've been tested. You do not want to get on that flight and hear over the intercom, well, hey, funny thing, if today is your first flight, it's mine too. (laughs) But don't worry, I'm a natural. I know I'm competent at this. Do you know how many video games I've played? I've landed every single time. This is second nature to me. You're not getting on that flight because you can't trust that person. And we shouldn't assume that God will steward any responsibility to us at all until we prove ourselves trustworthy. Until we show whether we will be faithful to him or not. And the only way to do that is to experience some kind of hardship. Because hardship is the test. You don't know the foundation's good until there's pressure. Pressure reveals the cracks. And you don't know the genuineness of your faith until it's what? It's tested. See, we can't see the condition of our faith. I don't know my faith is genuine until I have a chance not to trust. So so how do we remember this? Here's how. When life gets hard, the first question to ask is not, well, what does this reveal about God? You already know who God is. God's your loving father. God sent Jesus to die for you. God is not bad because you're going through hard things. That's not the first thing to do is to question God. It's to question myself and to say, what does the hardship reveal about me? What cracks in my faith are getting exposed by the pressure? Because that's why God is bringing this into my life. Let me give you an example of this, right? Man, I, um, I was a chill dude for most of my life. Chill, right? Right? I grew up in NorCal, but I'm like SoCal at heart—just beach, amiable, chill, go with the flow. And if you knew me in college, like that's who I was—just easygoing. And I thought that's godliness. I'm godly. I don't—I'm not easily offended. And then I had children, <laughs> and, and and this new guy named Mad Dad came out of me. And Mad Dad was unlike anyone else I'd ever met. I'm like, who is this person? I'm angry all the time. Where did the rage monster come from? What, what is that? So there's only two options, right? Either like people are difficult and make you mad. Or there was always the rage monster in here. It's just that for all my life up to that point, I basically got to do whatever I wanted all the time. And because I always got my own way, there was never a What? A test. But then you get these little sovereigns in your house who have their own kingdom that's in conflict with your kingdom and now there's a clash of kingdoms and now there's what? There's a test. And it's the first chance to realize, oh, well, maybe I am an angry person and that guy was always dormant in me and now it's exposed. Does that make sense? So instead of focusing on the hardship or questioning God, ask, okay, this is instructive. This is revealing some stuff about me. That's the first point. Faced with hardship, ask, what does this reveal about me? Second, I need to remember, and this is the most uncomfortable truth, that God uses pain to train. Pain focuses the mind and gives us a maturity that, that, in God's providence, nothing else will. Nothing else will. God takes them into the wilderness and he humbled you and let you hunger. Israel, he let you get hungry in order to feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What was the point of the manna? We're in the wilderness. We're starving. There is no food. There is no water. The easiest thing would be is to go hunt. Hunt and stockpile, (laughs) go build a dam, (laughs) go create a civilization in the wilderness to protect ourselves. And God says, Don't do any of that, just stay hungry until I feed you, just stay thirsty until I give you water to drink to see if you will trust me to provide what you need in my timing. Why did God want to teach them that to show that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord? What's the lesson there? that ultimately we are utterly dependent on God for everything. God is the one who sustains. God is the one who supplies, which means my only life, the only life worth having, real life, is only found in obeying God's commands. That's faith. To say, God, even if it's unpleasant to obey you, I know that this will lead to what? Life. Because Psalm 84 says that no good thing does he withhold to those who act uprightly. That God, this is your command. I'm going to live by it. It doesn't feel very good right now, but I'm not going to gratify myself outside of your commands. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me what I need when I need it. Now, why would God do that? Because he's a bad dad and just wants to make our lives miserable? No. What does Moses say? Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Did God bring Israel into the wilderness because he hated them? No, he loved them and in his kindness had a plan to mature them. God was delighted in Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what does he say right after that? Go in the wilderness. I'm going to humble you. You're going to hunger. God doesn't stop being a good God in that place. He has a purpose for the pain and it's to create dependence in us. Because until all of our self-made scaffolding falls out from under us, until that happens, do we have a choice now? I really got to trust God. I really got to depend on God. Either God's got to show up or I've got nothing. And, and, and God isn't all you need until he's all you have. <laughs> And so God takes you to that place of desperate dependence to force the decision, am I going to trust him or not? Because that's what grows our faith. And good parents know this, that if you just make your life easy all the time for your kids, you're ruining them. You're not helping them, right? I got two in middle school right now, and like, I remember they asked me like, dad, what's middle school like? And I'm like, oh, high school's good, right? Right? College is great. College was really great. Yes, I was a little scared because middle school is hard. It is a painful period of life. If you're in middle school, I feel for it, man. Like, I do not diminish what you're going through. It is hard, and there's a loss of innocence as you're moving to maturity. It's difficult, and everything in you as a parent wants to shield your kids from that. Imagine if I did. Right? Imagine if, like, man, I am a good parent, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to every class with my kids every day. Just show up at at middle school. Oh, don't talk to my kid that way. That was not nice. Okay? Hey, okay, hey, don't hang out with those kids, okay? Like, they're bad. Stay away, right? This is your friend. I'm going to give you your friend right here. This is going to be great, right? Here, remember your homework. Let's do your homework together. Come on, let's do it. Come on, right? I'll sit with you at lunch. It's okay. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to be right here, right? I would be creating monsters if I did that. Because throughout their life, they would assume, whenever I have a feeling of discomfort, dad's going to come bail me out. That is not what a loving parent does. And as my friend Ryan Kwan says, why do you expect God to give you everything you ask for at Why then right when you ask for it? Yeah, that one was harder, right? Because that's the truth. God is a loving father, so he's gonna say, No. Get me out of the situation. Deliver me from this. God's gonna say, No, there's something for you to learn. There's something, a place where you need to grow, and it hurts. It hurts. And it's not because God hates you, it's because he loves you that he's putting you through that. Even Jesus had to go through it. Did Jesus ever sin? Nope, batted a thousand. And yet Jesus suffered. Hebrews 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did not move from sinfulness to sinlessness. He was always sinless, but he did move from innocence to maturity. His faith had to be tested he had to grow in obedience through suffering. What does that mean? He had to pass this test and pass this test and pass this test and grow in wisdom and knowledge and stature before God to show that his character was proven and that he was the guy for the job, right? If Jesus had to grow through suffering, if his faith had to come to completion through that, yours is too. Mine is too. And it has nothing to do with our sinfulness. It just has to go with how God works to grow us. It is not pleasant, but we know it's true. That the pain teaches us something of incalculable value. Think about what Jesus had to go through in the desert. God just said, you are my beloved son. Then he goes into the desert. What's the first thing Satan goes after? What God just said. God says, you are my beloved son. Satan says, well, if you're God's son, if you're God's son, if you're God's son, immediately starts saying, well, does God really love you? Does God really care about you? Well, then just meet your own needs. You can do that. Don't trust God to meet your needs. That's the first thing Satan's going to go after when you're in hardship. And that's the crucible in which dependence becomes real. Right? That's why we say no pain, no gain. You go to the gym and some people do this and it's fine if you want to do this, no judgment. But, you know, you go for two hours and you just walk on the treadmill. Nice, easy pace. Say hi to your friends, right? That's great. That's called socializing. That's not called working out. And you shouldn't expect results because results don't come until there's what? Resistance, pain, working out stinks if you're trying to get in shape. It's terrible. And yet afterwards, it yields the fruit. It makes your whole life easier because you can do more physically. The exact same thing is true for our faith. Elizabeth Elliot said, God will not protect us from things that make us like Jesus. God loves us. He wants to develop that endurance. And and within that, here's the thing to realize. When you're faced with hardship, here's the question to ask. Okay, God, where does my faith need to mature? Where do I need to grow up? God, you've cared for me. Now I'm in adolescence. I'm coming to maturity. Where do I just need to grow up in my faith? Because here's the thing. How do you learn to be patient? (laughs) You have to have a lot of goals blocked, right? How do you learn to find your identity in Christ? You know, that's such a lovely idea until you realize you don't find your identity in Christ until you have every other source of identity knocked out from under you. The the things about you you were confident of, those things get destabilized. How, How do you learn to stop caring what people think about you? Criticism. Getting criticized. How do you learn to be a forbearing person? God puts difficult people in your life. How do you learn to deal with conflict? You know, God's going to bring conflict into your life and, and he'll keep bringing you until you learn to resolve it his way. You see the point? God is loving you when in that moment and even if the thing is bad, his, his purpose is good and there is great gain in it. And that leads to the last point here. Remember that the burden is for your blessing. The burden is for your blessing. Blessing. God did not forsake Israel in the wilderness. In fact, Israel should look back on this time, not just as a time of God's punishment, but God's care. What does Moses say? Your clothing didn't wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Israel, do you realize what just happened? 40 years in a place where you should have died in 40 minutes. And God kept you the whole time. He cared for you. He gave you food. He gave you water. He sustained you to this point, and he sustained you to this point to do you good. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fire, serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you. Why did he humble and test you? To do you good in the end. To do you good. All of the burden was for your ultimate blessing. It was to prepare you to be the kind of people who could walk in and enjoy and receive the blessing He was about to steward to you. That's the good life God has. Look at what He says For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Is it a wilderness? No brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord for your God, for the the good land he has given you to do you good in the end. There was unspeakable blessing for Israel after the burden. And now they were prepared to enjoy that land and steward it the way God wanted it to be stewarded. What does that mean for us? (laughs) If we endure poverty, do we get prosperity? You know, more hardship than God gives us land and wealth and health. Well, actually Hebrews 12 tells us what this means for new covenant believers. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful. It's a good reminder for us parents. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. It is painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is after your joy And he is after something so much bigger than just fixing your circumstances. Do you know what he's after? Giving you more of Jesus and giving you a Christ-like character, which scripture says is more precious than gold. Let's play a game of would you rather, okay? Would you rather have more money all the time Or be the kind of person who isn't anxious about money? Ever? Would you rather have more people like you? Or would you rather be more secure in your identity in Christ so that what other people thought didn't matter? Would you rather have a life that's smooth all the time? Or would you rather be a resilient person in the face of adversity? Would you rather have less difficult people in your life or become the kind of person who is wise in navigating every relationship? See, God wants something better for you than ease. He wants you to become like Jesus because then you can be happy no matter what happens to you. You can have joy no matter what happens to you. You can have it in Jesus and you have a reservoir that the world cannot take. That's better. That's that's better than just fixing stuff in your life. It's giving you a character that is unbreakable in Christ with a fountain of joy that is inexhaustible. Don't you want that? Well, you have to walk through this to get it. So remember, in this time, last question, ask yourself, what positive outcome could I anticipate if my faith were to mature? Look, if I became this kind of person, I would have more joy, and that's what God is after, is making me that person. Here's the reality, family. Um, You know, Humanity's track record with this isn't good, okay? Adam and Eve failed. First generation of Israelites failed, and then the second through the 182nd failed as well at this. In fact, every human fails to pass the test, and that's why the good news of the gospel is not just that we have a great example of testing. We have a champion through testing, and that's Jesus. There's only one human that ever passed the test of the wilderness. Who is it? Jesus. He's the only one who learned the lessons that Adam and Eve and Israel were supposed to learn. He was the only one who learned that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He did it perfectly. He batted a thousand. He did it to be our champion so that we have his track record before God. His story is now our story. And because we belong to Jesus, we are the beloved sons and daughters of God in whom he is well pleased. And now as we walk through the wilderness, we walk in Christ's And Christ in us. So when you're in hardship, guess who's walking with you? Jesus. Does Jesus know how to get through the wilderness? He already did. He already faced everything you're going to face. He already beat everything you're going to beat. You're not alone. And so Jesus is there to counsel you and teach you and spur you on. And here's the best news. You're going to screw up in the wilderness. (laughs) You're not going to pass the test. Jesus already has. So he's going to keep walking. And guess who he's taking with you? You. He won't let you fall. He's going to pick you back up. And he's going to pick you back up. And there's sometimes life's going to get so hard, you're not going to get get, get picked back up. And you're going to be like, no. I'm going to die in the wilderness, right? That's better than walking through this. And guess what Jesus is going to do? He's not going to leave you. He's going to take you by the scruff of your neck and say, nope. I'm in you. You're in me. And he will drag you kicking and screaming through the wilderness if he has to to get you home he leaves no man behind. If you're in him, he's gonna get you through. He will not fail you in hardship, even though you are gonna fail him. And so here's the exhortation. Learn the lesson. Don't keep doing laps around the wilderness. Because you all know this. There are people in your life who have been through unspeakable hardship, and they have joy. In fact, it made them sweeter, and kinder, and more patient. And you know people who have been through hardship who are the most insufferable people in the world and are relentlessly bitter and critical and almost unbearable to be around because hardship does not necessarily improve you. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been what? Trained by it. It's either going to make you bitter or it's going to make you better. That's it but in Jesus, we have the trust that it will make us better. He will teach us the lesson and that he's gonna get us home. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I'm always wary when I I preach on this of belittling what people are going through, Lord. Uh, God, I know the affliction is so real. For so many of us, it can be suffocating. And and Jesus, the only comfort I know is, is that you would give them the assurance that Jesus, you're walking with them through the wilderness. Lord, that you've already gone through it. You've already passed every test. Um, And so, Lord, you are so competent to get us home. So would we walk by faith and not by sight? Would we live on your commandments? And Lord, would would we be trained by the pain? to trust only in you and weaned off of our self-reliance. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the shepherd of our souls. You aren't just our example, but our shepherd. And you promise to take us, even to carry us, to get us safely to the promised land.